So I'll start in verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And let's pray before we continue with this. Lord, again, our, our desire, our goal is to glorify you uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, so I ask for your, your hand of guidance um, in me as I'm looking at the various scriptures and trying to describe um, what you want us to learn from these things, Lord. So help us in that this morning. Uh, again, we just ask that you would um, help those that are listening to get what you would have them to get um, rather than what I would have them to get, Lord. And so, again, we just commit the time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And just in regards to last week, we had a bit of open dialogue which isn't a normal thing in a church service. Um, and it shouldn't probably be uh, an every week kind of thing. It can really distract from what is trying to be taught. But, but there's an importance to that as well, in that your feedback is crucial so that I can know where you're at, so I can know what I'm not clear on. <laughs> so that I can answer the questions that are on your mind when they come. Um, and so I, I'd like to encourage people to speak to me, to tell me what they have questions about, if what they maybe are struggling with, what, with what I'm saying. Um, and even this morning, one was brought up, and it's helpful for me to know if I wasn't fully clear in an area of something that I've said, because I'd rather come back and fill in some blanks for people rather than just carry on. Um, I wouldn't do what was suggested. I was told that, uh, you know, one preacher had spent an entire year preaching one verse. <laughs> I don't think I would do that to you, but... If we're not done with a topic, it's there's no point moving on from the topic, right? Just because, well, I did my one sermon on it, and that's that, and if you don't get it, well, too bad. <laughs> well, that's 
really not a good attitude to have. And if there's more to be said and more to be discussed, then we should probably spend some time on the thing. Um, and so we're still kind of stuck in this one area. And just to, to remind people how this started was the question of, is there evidence of salvation? And what would that evidence be? And so, uh, I'm not saying that God doesn't change people. God certainly changes people. And the change that we see in people is certainly an evidence that, that they've been saved. So I guess maybe part of what I need to clarify is that it's not always going to be something that we can see and look at to say that, yes, indeed, that person is saved. And on the other side of that is what I see doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, because people are very good at pretending. And so we need to be careful of what we're looking at as what we consider to be evidence of salvation in a person. Um, we have this tendency to look on the outside, where the Bible describes that God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the inside, he looks at the, the heart. And I've mentioned, um, why do I never remember where the verse is, but in Corinthians it, it talks about examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And I'm bringing up the point, like, are we to examine our works to determine whether we be in the faith? Well, how were we saved? Without works. <laughs> By faith. So we don't examine the outward to verify whether our faith was in the right thing. Otherwise, we're, we're still looking at the wrong things. And our examination should end up showing that Maybe we're not actually saved. Because <laughs> maybe I'm actually depending a little bit on my outward works for my salvation. If that's what I'm looking at as proof that I was saved. Does that make sense? <laughs> I hope it does. Um, so one of the things that was brought up this morning was what it was based on last week's message, and I responded to, wait, well, we have to repent. And the question, so, so what is repentance? And I've brought this up in, in our Bible study a few times. What is repentance? And there's a various number of definitions flying around out there. And the one that I have issue with which I see often represented in gospel tracts and in witnessing um, encounters is they say you need to repent, which is to turn from your sins. If I was to turn from my sin, does that not mean that I stop sinning? If I was to stop sinning, isn't that works? Right? If, if I was to turn from my sins, that would mean to, to me to, me to change something that I'm doing 
in order to be saved. Well, if I am saved without any works required, simply through faith, then the repentance required for salvation cannot be a turning from sin. It has to be something different than that. And so we, I've, I've been through, went through the Bible one time looking at the word repentance and how it's used throughout the Bible. And you'll find, as you read through the Bible, that you'll you come across passages, particularly in the Old Testament, that says, God repented. Did God turn from his sins? <laughs> well, that's certainly not what it means there, right? God didn't sin, so God didn't stop sinning. God changed his mind about what he was going to do. Um, so there's a, a change of mind involved with repentance. Um, I, I went to Hebrews 6 and read that last week. When we, when we look at the word as it's used, I see a couple of different things. Um, there's a passage, 2 Corinthians, that talks about how the people, when they responded to Paul's writing, they were made sorry. And it re- uses the word repentance in that context to describe the sorrow that they felt over what he brought forward that they were doing wrong. And I see that that would be a, a good definition of repentance is to be sorry for the wrong that we do towards God. Um, just, just when we were talking this morning, like the, the whole idea of when I come to salvation, if, what, what does it mean to believe? What do I have to believe to be saved? And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean? Well, there's a few things that are assumed in that statement. One is that, who is this Lord Jesus Christ? He is a, the sinless son of God. He is God in the flesh. So the Christ, that would be God in the flesh. Um, and that he came, lived a sinless, perfect life, and he was crucified on the cross buried, and three days later rose from the dead. Well, okay, those can be facts that I can believe, but there's no salvation in just believing a bunch of facts. And that's what people will point to in the James 2 that says even they'll believe us that there is one God to do us well, but even the devils believe and tremble. And the point is, like, the devils aren't being saved, (laughs) right, by believing that there's one God. There's more to than just believing some facts. There's an application of this, is that I believe that those events, that that life that Christ lived being perfect, and the death that he went through on the cross actually was sufficient to pay the penalty that my sin deserves. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is guilty, Christ took it on him, and God allowed what we owe to be transferred to Christ when he died on the cross. Well, that's, now I'm, my faith, what I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is that I believe that that was sufficient to pay for everything for me. 
and that there's nothing left for me to do. And I think that's where <laughs> there seems to be a, a misunderstanding of what I'm saying here by some people is that what we do from there isn't how we got saved, isn't necessarily even evidence that we got saved. Sometimes it should be the outpouring and the expression, the result of, but it's not necessarily. And it's not what we should necessarily be looking for to prove it. Um, and so when, when you look at this, when we become, when we get to the point of understanding what the gospel is, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in exchange for me spending eternity in hell because of my own sin. When I realize that, what is repentance? What, what is my attitude toward my sin at that moment that I've realized what Christ did on the cross? Man, there shouldn't be a sorrow more severe than that. That I did that to him. Now my repentance should be the sorrow of like, I, I'm sorry? <laughs> sorry is not enough. There's nothing, there isn't enough, right? To make up for that. But you know what the attitude of the majority of people in the world is if you ask them if they think they're going to heaven, and our, our entire Thursday study is based on this, and the question asked to every person in the interaction is, do you think you're a good person? Because they think that they are a good enough person to be allowed into heaven. And then we, we'll go through the law and prove to them that you've broken the God's law. But look at, if you turned to Hebrews 6 with me, I don't know if you did. Verse 1 there says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So the, the point that I'm making here, regardless of what the rest of the the context of, of this is talking about. But if, if we're laying again the foundation, the, the next phrase describes what the foundation is, right? So that, that's, that's my point. And it's repentance from dead works. So the repentance would be, a, if, if it's a turning, if it's a turning from, it's not a turning from sin, it's a turning from dead works. The things that I used to think were good enough to get me to heaven, the life that I thought was, you know, my good away and my bad, and I'm I'm a generally a, a good person. I haven't killed anybody and blah blah blah, you know, right? I do nice things, I give people stuff when they need stuff, and right? So it's my good works. I stop believing that that's sufficient to get me to heaven. And so now what do I turn to? If I have to stop believing that that was good enough, what do I turn to? It says, and faith towards God. Now, believing that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was a sufficient payment for that. And that simply putting my faith in that, 
believing that that was for me and sufficient for me, I've turned from the dead works to faith in God. That's what I would, I see the scripture describing as repentance. So when a person tells you, you must repent, they often mean to stop doing what you used to do. And I guess the question would be is, have you stopped? Have you stopped sinning? Since you've been saved, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever coveted? Have you ever done anything that's in the law that it says you shouldn't? Now, the challenge, now people will, we go to the first John and he talks about, um, I don't know the verse offhand, talks about in Christ, if you're in Christ, you no longer sin. And so people will wrestle with this verse and like, well, it means we no longer practice sin. It's no longer a habitual sin. It's like, can I back you up from that thought? When I come to somebody and I want to share the gospel with them, if I'm going to use the way of the master method, I'm going to say, do you think you're a good person? And may I test that? Have you ever told a lie? So here's the, we're going to use the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments is, have, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Ever. If the answer is yes, what does that make you? Go ahead. A liar, right? How many lies... Does it take to make a person a liar? One. Have you ever stolen anything? Nobody's without guilt on that one. What does that make you? A thief. Thank you. (laughs) How many times stealing things does it take to make you a thief? Once. If I've committed murder, I got away with it, 15 years ago, never done it again since. And now somebody stirred up some evidence, found a hair and my DNA's there and they were able to prove that the weapon was mine and I, they come after me. It's like, that was 15 years ago. I haven't done anything like that since. Why are you bugging me about that now? Am I not still a murderer? Let's bring that back into now my saved state. We, we bring a person to the point of it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter how many times, that sin that you committed that one time is enough to condemn you before God because God's standard is perfection. But now... Once we're saved, we say, well, I no longer practice sin. It's no longer habitual. It's, I, I just fall into it sometimes. It's not a, I don't do it on purpose. Does any of that matter? Does that hold any water whatsoever in God's court? No. So when you stand before God, the end of your life, what are you going to point to? Are you going to point to the change in your life and the desire to turn from sin, the desire to put that stuff away, to the desire 
to live a more godly and righteous life? Is that what you're going to point to? I hope not. We better be pointing back to the cross. Say, he paid it. I couldn't. He paid it. And he said that if I just put my faith in what he did, I could come in. That's it. So why do we look for evidence of salvation as if there's any merit whatsoever in anything that I do from this moment on? Because everything that I do, even from this moment on, after I believed, is still tainted by the sinful flesh. Um, let's go, let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Go back to uh, a chapter or two in, in Romans chapter 6. Now, I want to look at, at maybe, I don't know if we can get some context of, of how this fits. What shall we say then? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Um, verse 2 says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, if I just continue reading just for a moment. Um, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. I'm going to pause just for a second. The word baptism doesn't always mean water. <laughs> this would be a case where this baptism has nothing to do with water. This is a spiritual baptism. This is what actually took place versus what the water is picturing when we baptize a person. Just for clarification on that. So, verse 4 again. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, 
this is sometimes a, a very difficult thing to process. Because I'm saying that when I put my faith in what Christ did, that I died with him. Verse 1 again says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're dead. We were buried with him. So how in the world does that work? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Um, if we go over to chapter 7, we'll continue reading a little bit here. It makes a little bit more sense. I don't know if it's it'll be crystal clear in your mind when we're done here or anything, but um, I think this helps. So this is chapter 7, verse 1. says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So we're speaking of the law. It has dominion over man as long as he's alive. Now, here's an example that he gives. Verse 2, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, I hope you're paying attention to the, the words, in, I think verse 4 in particular, He uses the, back up just a sec. He uses the example of the marriage. I'm married to my wife. If I was to divorce her and go get married again, I've broken the law of God. Because the law of God says that once you're married, you're married for life. There is no way around that. And so if I've done anything where I've eliminated that and I've gone and married another, I have committed adultery. Period. I broke the law and I've committed adultery. But if my wife dies, I am freed from that law and I can now go and get married. That's the example used. We understand that example. I'm no longer committing adultery by marrying another woman if my wife has died. Bring that back into the spiritual realm of what Christ did on the cross. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married 
to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What in the world is he saying? The same as in chapter 6. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that as like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And it's pointing us to a resurrection, a new body. So, I'm dead to sin. The me, the me that got saved, my reborn self, the spiritual part of me that got reborn, is incapable of sin. Which again would be what John is talking about in 1 John. John is hard because if you don't understand the two persons, the old man and the new man, you'll mess that thing up because for one, he talks about if you say that you're without sin, you call God a liar. You're deceiving yourselves. We don't, in my old man, will never be without sin. The new man cannot sin because his seed is in me. Right? Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in me. My new man is incapable of sin. And yet, that is still kind of attached to this old body that carries on in sin. And so, but in that I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to the law. It's exactly what he said. Ye also are become dead to the law. Like with the husband-wife example, if, if my wife dies, I'm free to go get married again. I've not broken that law. So in being dead to sin, dead to the law, I can now do the things that the law says I shouldn't do, and I'm no longer guilty before God. That's If we understand... Man, people have a hard time with that statement. <laughs> but that's the only way it can work. Otherwise... Romans 8.1 doesn't make sense. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Because I'm dead to the law. What my flesh does from now on has no bearing on my eternal position. I'm waiting for a new body. I want to get rid of this one that I'm dead to. where we'll be perfected. I think most of us understand that aspect, that there is a resurrected body. We get a new body because this one cannot enter into God's presence because it's rotten. It's contaminated. And this contaminated fleshly body can't enter into God's presence. My spirit has been circumcised from this body. Except this body still is here for the time being. But I have to consider myself dead to it (laughs) to understand that my newness of life is in Christ. Again, I really wish I could explain things better than I can. (laughs) Um, 
there are better, smarter people than me. But hopefully you're starting to see what the scripture is describing this transaction to actually be. The depth of it, the simplicity that is in Christ is so profound and yet so simple. We want to complicate it and we want there to be more me involved in it. But there is no me involved in it. It's just coming to the conclusion that I'm lost, useless, vile, hopeless, condemned without him. And just turns like, I quit. I quit trying to do anything myself. I'm going to now turn to you and put all of my faith in what you did on that cross. That's it. And then I'm now dead to sin. I'm dead to the law so that it no longer has any dominion and power over me to condemn me. Um, I think I, my wife gives me trouble if I say that you're all familiar with this because you're not all familiar with everything that I think you might be. So I'll, I'll just look at this Romans 7 one more time. Um, I'll start in verse 14 to continue here. This discussion that Paul is having, he's describing himself. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And just point out, he's using present tense in describing himself as he's writing our Bible. <laughs> I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. If I pause at that verse, it says to will is present with me. And in this conversation about the change, the outward change that should happen in a Christian's life once they believe in the gospel, we like to see a change in their life. But here's the thing. To will is present with me. And we seem to think that my will, my desire to change, my desire to please God is going to be visible to, to people. Um, what we do by our will is exactly what we see happening in Paul's life in this description. It's, it's up and down, but it's a, a lot of failure. To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I can't do it. I, I know I should. 
but I can't. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The inward man, the one that got saved, the one that cannot sin, is at war with the, the, the one that you guys get to see and interact with. <laughs> and that's the one that, if we're trying to judge a person's salvation by, it's, <laughs> it's rotten. <laughs> I, if I was to look at any of your lives with any amount of <laughs> magnification at the details of it behind closed doors, the thoughts of your mind, Man, that guy ain't saved. <laughs> That'd be my conclusion for every one of us. Because we're rotten. <laughs> still. The flesh is still rotten. And Paul comes to the conclusion, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He knows it's death. The body's dead. And I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, are, are we saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's not what we're saying. He already said it, right? He asked the question. The answer is, God forbid. How shall we that are dead live any longer therein, right? How, how can we can willingly just carry on in that? But we need to understand that what happens in my flesh isn't really related to what happened in my spirit. Um, I read it already, but if I'm dead to sin, um, a couple of verses, we read the Romans 6 one, um, verse 4, I think. Um, no, not quite. Oh, verse 6. So Romans 6 to 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, Galatians 2.20, verse that, again, many are familiar with. Galatians 2.20 says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
what a convoluted verse, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's this struggle that we have, and it's the struggle of understanding that people are having with our salvation. My dead flesh that nevertheless I live. It's still standing here in front of you. It's the part that the heart beats and the blood flows and the fingers get crushed between rocks and, you know, that stuff. And the words come out the mouth that ought not to come out the mouth and the, the things that we see with our eyes and the lust that takes place, whether it's people or stuff, that's all this flesh that is dead and yet nevertheless is alive and I'm still stuck, kind of attached to it for the time being. I am crucified with Christ. The, the law of the wife and husband gets eliminated and so I'm no longer held guilty according to the law because I've crucified that with Christ. And now I get his righteousness applied to me permanently. I'm completely, permanently justified, saved, sanctified. All those words that we use to describe what takes place at salvation is a permanent one-time event. It's done, taken care of. Um, and if I'll, I'll finish with Philippians chapter 3, I almost need to read the whole chapter to, <laughs> again, I won't do that. Um, maybe I will, but we'll see. Philippians 3, verse 3, says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. How are we the circumcision? Because isn't that the Jews that physically circumcised the boys? That's not what he's talking about anymore. We are the circumcisions that my flesh has been separated from my spirit. And now there's two, there's in the old man, the flesh, and the new man, the spirit, two different things. And yet we're still kind of interwoven for the time being. Um, so again, let's go back. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. Meaning, what you guys see happening in my flesh is not a good way to judge whether or not I've been saved. <laughs> right? I have no confidence in it because my flesh is still sold under sin. It still fails on a daily basis. Do I... Just give in and say, hey, that's okay. No, that's not what we're saying. But my confidence is not in my flesh. My, the, the outward expression of my salvation is not well displayed in my physical form. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. It's the Spirit is the new birth. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If I keep reading, it says, though, this is an important 
thing for us to grasp. Look who Paul is. Look how Paul describes himself. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So if you think you're displaying enough to show that you're a Christian, that you've been saved, Paul thinks he's got more. Um, I'm more. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, meaning he actually, we, we talk about Pharisees as hypocrites, right? But, but they were law keepers. Every, they, they tithed of Annas and Cumin and, you know, right? Like they, they took care of the details. So it's touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. I get Christ's righteousness applied to me. That's what God sees. If I want to look for evidence, if I'm going to examine myself, whether I be in the faith, Paul, Paul has a little bit better list than most of us. He was really good at keeping the law. If we were to look at this man's life, prior to him putting his faith in Christ, man, that guy's a good Christian. There's no way that guy's going to hell, right? He's such a good person. He's never done anything wrong. We can't find a single fault in anything. And he's serving God to the point of killing people. That kind of zeal. It was misplaced. But he had the zeal. Man, that guy was driven. But he says it counts all things but loss. He counts it all as dung. not having his own righteousness, which is in the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. Everything in our life is useless when it comes to before God. No matter what it is, no matter how good it looks to the world, to each other, it's garbage, it's dung, it's filthy rags before God. Even in our saved state, what we do as a Christian in our flesh is still, according to the Apostle Paul who wrote our Bible, <laughs> it's still dumb. Let's not look to what we see. We need to examine ourselves deeper than what we see externally, what we do 
in our flesh. It has to be, is your faith in Christ and that alone. Uh, We'll pray again. (laughs) 